Hello, and thanks for joining us today for the Education Doctor Radio Program. The Education Doctor Radio Show is your family source for education excellence. Our program is brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. I'm Dr. Pamela Ellis, Principal Consultant at Compass, where our mantra is access, thrive, graduate. You can learn more about our firm at www.compasseducationstrategies.com. Yes, that's a long, long name, but hang in there with me. Um, You may also, and I ask you to please, if you're on Facebook, if you can like my page on Facebook, it's called The Education Doctor, and that's where you can get our show updates and relevant education news. I post a great deal on there about college graduation rates and other interesting information. And also, if you're on Twitter, you can find me there um, at the Education Doc, D-O-C. So thanks to all of my listeners today. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the program, especially if you're a junior and you're snowed in. What a great uh, way to spend your afternoon, right? Uh, If you're listening to the archive of this program, I also want to thank you for listening in. In today's show, we're discussing standardized tests. We'll focus on those tests for college, which include the SAT, and that used to be called the Scholastic Aptitude Test, but now it's just known by its acronym, SAT, and then the ACT, which used to be called the American College Testing Program, Um, It's now just ACT as well. And then a third test that's been around for several years that we don't often think of in terms of college admissions, it's the Advanced Placement Test, or AP, as it's affectionately known. We will discuss these tests, what you need to know for these tests, so that's the what that we're going to discuss today. We're going to also talk about how to do well on these tests. So that's the how, and then what these tests mean for college admissions, which is the why about these tests. And then the big question on everyone's mind that we'll address in this program, because it's actually one of our questions that we have emailed in, we're going to talk about um, the when, um, when to take the test. I often get um, that question from students and parents. When is the best time to take these tests? So our phone lines are open. So for those of you who would like to ask a question by phone, you may dial 714-333-3356. That's our switchboard, which is in Southern California. Although I am broadcasting live from Dayton, Ohio, you may also email us at radio at CompassEducationStrategies.com. And by design, this program is 30 minutes, and we found that we get more questions through email than by phone in real time. And that's perfectly fine. So please do send those emails, and we will answer your questions online. And any questions that we can't address during our showtime, we do respond by email. So we appreciate your interest in this program, whether it's by phone or email. So thank you again. I am going to take a quick break here to catch my breath. 
Um, I should have been exercising today, but I wasn't. I've just been kind of running around doing things. But I need to catch my breath. And then we'll come back to continue or at least start our discussion on SAT, ACT, and the AP exams. Okay, this is the Education Doctor Radio Show brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. We are back now to start our conversation on SAT, ACT, and AP exams. So what exactly are these tests? I think we all somewhat have a kind of a somewhat general understanding of them, but just to get us started, I will describe a little bit more in detail just what these tests are. So both the SAT and ACT are standardized multiple choice tests, and these tests are meant to predict your first-year college grades. Now, that's the piece I think most of us um, hadn't really thought about is just what they're meant to do and what their purpose is. So they're to predict your first-year college grades. Now, the SAT, if you're a history student, you may know, is grounded in intelligence testing, hence the term aptitude in the name. And so these original SAT tests were used to test the academic ability of students entering the most selective colleges and universities. So there is now an SAT reasoning test and SAT subject test. So the SAT reasoning test, which is often called as the SAT-1, is composed of three sections. It has critical reading, mathematics, and the one I love that they've added is writing. So each is scored on a 200 to 800 point scale. There are about 171 questions, and many of them, as I said earlier, are multiple choice. The exam now has this brief essay, which is um, scored on certain different factors that I can certainly share with you if you're interested in that. And then there are 10 math questions that require the students to grid in um, their answer. So the SAT subject tests, which are sometimes referred to as SAT2, are formerly achievement tests, and they are one-hour subject tests entirely in a multiple-choice format. One thing about um, taking these tests that you have to remember is that generally you cannot take the reasoning test at the same time as your subject test. So students need to plan well when they're thinking about when to take these tests, and we'll talk more about the when. The ACT consists of four individual tests, and this has been longstanding. So it's the English, the math, the reading, and a science reasoning section. And the score report has a composite ranging from 1 to 36. It's a score for each individual test and subscores. There is also now an optional writing test. And I do say optional because students may choose to do the writing test or not, and in the same way colleges may choose to accept the writing component or not. We will talk more about that later on in this program. The SAT used to be predominant on the East and West Coast, and the ACT was more common in the Midwest, the South, 
and the deep south where I'm from. Um, but I've noticed some changes in the pattern in recent years. And when we talk more about the test in relation to college admissions, I'll say more about these trends I've noticed in test taking. And I guess I can't just let the cat out of the bag now and just saying that I've seen in the years that students have become a little bit more savvy about which tests they take, and so that can play well into the whole college admissions piece. So there's been a lot of controversy over the years as to how predictive these tests are for success in freshman year of college, and there's a website that has some research cited on this topic, and that website is called Fair Test. Org. Part of their movement and mission is to promote fair evaluations of students. And when you look at the recent school reports, you'll definitely see that there's a test score gap across race and ethnicity. Um, and then in the SAT scores, there's even a noticeable gap in income level as well. And so just to put a few numbers on that briefly, because you know I like to talk about data uh, and use data. Uh, so the average ACT scores, um, and this is from 2010, where there was a million and a half test takers. 55% of them are female. Um, the composite score was a 21, a 21 out of 36. Uh, when we look at uh, Hispanic. Um, the score is at about 18.6 for Asian Americans. It's at 23, so there's a five-point gap there. For African Americans, um, the score is at 16.9 out of 36. So certainly uh, some margin there. Uh, for Caucasian students, the composite score is at 22.3. Again, for Asian and Caucasian students, the score is above the national average. And then on gender, there's a, just a slight difference where males um, have a composite score of 21.2, females 20.9. So very uh, a slight difference there, but the difference is there. I want to talk uh, next about advanced placement. Um, this is also a standardized test, and what many of you may not know is that it's also administered by College Board, and those are the same folks who do the SAT. And it's based on a college-level course um, that's taken during high school that's meant to show how well-prepared students are to pursue a college curriculum. And so the idea had been that students could score well on these tests and therefore they could get credit for that, college credit. And when they did matriculate in college, they could advance to higher level coursework. Now, families should be careful about, you know, just how these scores are considered. I think oftentimes family may think they're saving money by doing the AP courses uh, during high school and that means that they're son or daughter may enter college with a lot of credit already that they won't have to pay for. But there are usually some very specific rules on a department-by-department department basis on how much college credit is earned. And I think uh, you should really be careful about understanding what those are. And 
One of the other things about these tests and its associated curriculum is that there's been some concern as to how well they actually translate to the rigors of college curricula that, you know, emphasize writing and critical uh, critical thinking. And um, so just... That's all. I said all of that to really urge you to understand um, what it may mean and how it translates uh, to college and whether or not you will get the credit that you're seeking. Oftentimes it's not the one-to-one ratio if you have a four or five that you may assume and that it used to have years ago. In fact, the trend has been in the last years to not grant any credit based on um, the AP scores, but we can talk more about that in another show. Um, the tests are usually offered in early May, and the window for those exams are usually around that first or second week, and you can get um, that at the College Board site. So I will take a quick break here to make sure that you have our call-in number, um, which is 714-333-3356, and also that you have our email address, which is radio at compasseducationstrategies.com. And when we come back, I will continue our discussion on ACT, ACT, and AP. I got some good information to share with you. Just one moment. This is the Education Doctor Radio Show, brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. We are back now to continue our con- our conversation on SAT, ACT, and AP. Um, before the break, we described what these tests are and just briefly touched on the controversy surrounding them because I can tell you there is a lot of it and uh, a lot of research that's out there in terms of how they're being used. But The next thing I want to talk with you about is just how to do well on these tests. I get a lot of questions um, from parents and students alike. A lot of students, they admit that they don't test well, and parents will often say that um, their son or daughter doesn't test well, and what does that mean for these tests? So like with any test, um, there's usually, you know, some way where you can do better on them, and usually that's through um, practice and familiarity. Uh, for each of these tests, they there are particular test-taking um, strategies for doing well on them. And in one of my upcoming shows, uh, I'm actually going to have a person who does the math section, uh, who's a mathematician, Uh, from Stanford with me come on and talk about uh, some of the strategies for doing well on the math section. So just the fact that there is so much um, in the way of programs that are out there for test taking and preparation, um, it's one of those things that can be learned. Um, So one of the ways you can go about you know, being able to do well on these tests is plan to review the tests prior to taking them. And I can't say that enough because oftentimes students will go into these tests cold. But certainly having some familiarity with them, either through getting a practice test um, from the site where you register, or you can get practice tests from a number of free sites 
that have support for tutorials as well. Those can be ways that you can get familiar with the test prior to taking it. Another thing that I've found uh, and some of my client families have found to work for them have been um, understanding etymology, maybe taking a course in word origin, and perhaps prior to the test using some vocabulary flashcards as a way to refresh. Uh, there's also a daily email that you can get which has a practice question or a vocabulary word as a way um, to practice beforehand. And again, all of this is to help you get familiar with the types of questions that are on the test. The other thing that I recommend to students uh, for doing well on the test is making sure that you get a good night's rest, and that cannot be emphasized enough. Do not plan to go out and be out late the night before. And the other thing about it, I would say, is not to you know do a lot of heavy studying the night before either. So cramming um, has been shown to actually work against you. So I would say getting a good night's rest and being sure um, that you take a break um, that night before in terms of your studying. And these are all, you know, measures that have worked for my client families and also for me personally. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have taken one test prep course, and that was for the GMAT, which was by far the hardest test that I've ever taken in my life. And um, But that was the only one for SAT, for ACT, um, you can certainly practice um, for those beforehand. You can try one of the books, one of the online sites that has tutorials and practice, and plan to just put together a schedule over a few weeks to do it. It shouldn't be anything that gets in the way of your studying for your normal classes at all, but as a supplement um, after school time, putting in some time there. The other thing I would say is that the research has shown, though, that the number one way that you can improve your score on the SAT or ACT, or the ACT, I keep getting stuck on my words today for some reason, the number one way to improve your score, now if I had a drum roll, I would roll it right now, the number one way is through reading. Now, if you say you dislike reading, then I challenge you to comb through your bookshelf at home, your local or your school library, and tell me that you read through newspapers, novels, books that your friends recommended, and you didn't find one thing that you enjoyed. I challenge you to do that. Reading is powerful in so many ways, and when I say reading, I don't just mean glossing over the words to get to the next page and finish quickly. I mean being strategic and engaged as a reader and critically thinking about how a text relates to you personally. So that's where there's real power in the reading and how it can make a difference in your scores. Um, the next topic that we want to cover about these standardized tests is just how they're used in college admissions. And again, I want to share with you my email address, which is radio at compasseducationstrategies.com if you have a question. 
Um, earlier we had spoke about um, how these standardized tests are supposed to predict how well you were performing your first year of college. They have nothing to do with how well you persist in college, like going from grade to grade. Uh, they certainly don't predict whether you will graduate in college, and they don't predict your career path. So, you know, it was really interesting, interesting to me recently when I saw a letter um, to a Wall Street Journal columnist where a reader stated that they had been asked about their SAT scores from a prospective employer. I mean, the only time I was ever asked about my SAT score after college was when I was interviewing with a management consulting firm. I mean, that felt weird even back then because the SAT scores really don't relate um, to your ability um, in your career or career skills in any way. Uh, so needless to say, I didn't have a perfect score on my SAT, and they didn't call me back. So so be it. It was their loss. So in college admissions, many colleges today will either take the SAT or ACT. And this is what I was referring to earlier in terms of the regional trends. I mean, it used to be that there was, you know, a preference for one or the other, particularly in the New England area. Many of those schools preferred the SAT over the ACT. And when I was applying, because I had uh, applied all around the country, um, I had taken both. But juniors, as you're looking at colleges to consider, take a look at where your scores are compared to the most recently admitted class. And look at these scores on a national level. Oftentimes students will just look at the scores for their school and they get somewhat uh, disenchanted with where they can apply. Um, but you want to look at those on a national basis and look at the most recently admitted class. Um, the key thing to know about these tests and their scores is that they are only one part of the application process and consideration for whether or not you're accepted. The, um, the rigor of your high school curriculum and how well you perform in high school carries more weight than these standardized test scores. So I really don't want students to stress out about them. The other test that some colleges may require is the subject test, and so my recommendation there is that you take the subject test as close to that course as possible. So if you're taking an advanced math course in junior year that has an associated subject test, then you may want to consider taking the subject test in June, this coming up June, rather than waiting until the fall of your senior year. Um, that will take some of the pressure off, and you get to do the subject test when the content is a bit more fresh. And the other way that these tests are considered in college admissions, here's another drum roll, is that they're not considered at all. <clears throat> so if you don't test well, but you're a great writer, perhaps you want to consider if one of the close to 900 colleges that are test optional may be a good fit for you. So the fairtest.org site, which I mentioned earlier, actually maintains a list of all of the institutions that are test optional. And I think you might be surprised at the schools that are on that list. So, for instance, if I you know, look at the list now, online there's American uh, University that's on there. Um, I know that Agnes Scott is another one on there. I'm just trying to scroll down a bit. Uh, 
Providence College in Rhode Island um, is another one. And Wake Forest um, is another school that should should also be on this list as well. As well. Uh, Ursinus, which is a great college um, outside Philadelphia, they're also test optional. I mean, the key thing is that there are a lot of schools that are out there that are test optional, and there are also some schools that will even take the AP um, test instead. So if you're thinking that if you know that you did better on the AP than you do on ACT or SAT, there are also some schools that will accept that um, as well. So I have just a couple more minutes left, and I wanted to take this question from Stacy in Columbus, Ohio. Um, she says, Dr. Pamela, my daughter just took the PSAT, and she didn't do so well. Uh, Stacy, I wish I could ask you what you mean by she didn't do so well, because that can be somewhat relative. But the other question that Stacy asked was just that what can she do to test better on the SAT? Um, I sort of answered this in part earlier when I just said reading, reading, and more reading. Uh, that's the key way. And one of the things, because she's all, because your daughter, Stacy has already taken the PSAT, they have a uh, a guidebook that comes with the test results that has all of the questions and the answers that your daughter had. And so she can actually review over that booklet and review what the correct answers were as a way to get familiar with the SAT because the PSAT is fairly similar um, to the SAT. And if you want to translate what her score is uh, from PSAT to SAT, you can add zero to the score and kind of use that as a, a metric as you're thinking about uh, which colleges and what may be a good fit, et cetera, in terms of, you know, how they look at that. But the key thing I would say to consider is it just that, you know, the test scores are only part of it. They're not everything. They're only part of it uh, in terms of uh, the strength of her application. So certainly stay encouraged and keep reading, reading, reading um, to do better on that test. So this wraps up our show for today on SAT, ACT, and AP. We have some great shows coming up for you on the Education Doctor Radio. Uh, next week, in fact, we're going to be talking uh, about boarding schools and a meeting with the Executive Director of the Association of Boarding Schools. So that should be a great um, talk if you're interested in boarding schools or if you know someone who is interested in attending boarding schools, um, a boarding Please do check that show out. Um, you may like my page on Facebook. I encourage you to like my page on Facebook. It's called The Education Doctor, and there you can get show updates as well as relevant education news. And then you can also find me on Twitter at The Education Doc. The Education Doctor program is brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. Our website, which is a long URL, I know, it's compasseducationstrategies.com. So thank you so much for joining us today. And until we meet again, access, thrive, graduate. <laughs>